You are now listening to The Big Data Beard. This is our podcast where we explore the trends, technology, and talented people making big data a big deal. Hi, everybody. This is Corey Minton with The Big Data Beard, and I'm excited to uh, to invite our guest on today who clearly had some foresight that big data was going to be a big deal because he grabbed at big data as a Twitter handle, Mr. Ben Lorica. Ben, how are you doing today? Great. Great to be here. Well, very cool. So how in the world did you recognize that big data was going to be such a big deal so early on that you were smart enough to grab that most uh, vaulted Twitter handle? Um, so I think that uh, if you look back uh, to the early days when big the term big data uh, got coined, you will find out that actually I co-wrote an O'Reilly report that was one of the first reports. Uh, I don't know the exact title, but I think I'm pretty sure big data is in the title there somewhere of that report. And then uh, shortly after, I, I mean, Twitter might have been uh, a couple of years old, so I decided, well, maybe I'll check this handle. So I was shocked that it was available, so I just uh, grabbed it. At that time, I actually had a personal Twitter handle and then I tried to keep two Twitter handles going using two different browsers. And then I gave up at some point. I just basically uh, shut down the other handle. Uh, and it's still up. And uh, But then I tell people I don't tweet, tweet here anymore. I tweet over this other handle, <laughs> Big Data. Yeah, I feel like at Big Data is definitely the better handle to have. But let me ask you this, Ben. If in today's age, if you had to pick your first Twitter handle with all the new trends and technologies, what would it be? If you could, if you could pick the next one, the next at Big Data. Uh, it's hard to say, right? So, I mean, I think that uh, certainly AI, right? So, machine learning, AI. Uh, I mean, I think if you want to be opportunistic and uh, grab something that will be kind of hot for a few years. It would be 5G, maybe. At right? 5G, I like yeah, it. Yeah, nailed it. So, Ben, tell us a little bit about what you do as the uh, the chief data scientist for O'Reilly Media. So, uh, um, so in my prior ro- uh, life at O'Reilly, I had, when I had a lot more time, I actually uh, worked on a lot of uh, data, rela- data science-related projects Uh, mostly revolving around uh, figuring out uh, uh, the the next technology trend. So we had access to many different data sources at the time, job postings, uh, uh, book sales, uh, and a few other related uh, data sources. So that's actually how we uh, became early users of uh, some of these tools like uh, the MPP databases, uh, and then I started playing around with Pig and Hadoop and then Spark. I was one of the early people who talked about Spark and, and kind of advocated for it. But uh, uh, at some point, I think they asked me if I wanted to share Strata data, uh, which was called the Strata Conference at that time. Uh, I said, sure. Uh, and then they kept adding more conferences. They added more Strata locations. <laughs> 
then they, and then we started the AI conference, uh, which is now happens. So Strata happens in three locations. Uh, the AI conference happens in four locations. Uh, and then uh, I'm also now co-chair of TensorFlow World, which is a conference we do with Google, which is happening for the first time in late October. So at this point, I'm basically uh, focused mainly on uh, making sure we have the right conference program, which uh, in our world means uh, the right mix of two-day trainings, half-day tutorials, keynotes and sessions, as well as, of course, uh, making sure that uh, uh, I still stay connected to uh, the field and uh, uh, I have an understanding of what's uh, important. And, uh, and along, the, along the lines, when you have uh, uh, conferences, usually you have to develop content to make people aware of uh, uh, what's important in the space and get them excited so that... Uh, uh, and then and then rallied them around the gatherings, the regional gatherings that uh, uh, our conferences have become. Yeah, and the the folks who co-chair these conferences with you, you've got some some big name folks who are uh, really crucial to the development of many of the the big data and AI technologies today. What's it like to work with you know such a cool and uh, interesting team of folks, including people like Doug Cutting and others? Oh, great. So uh, we usually have fun and uh, we uh, talk a lot, uh, compare notes about what we're seeing in the space. So uh, Doug in particular has a very kind of uh, great prism into the enterprise now that uh, he, uh, he now that uh, he's at Cloudera. And uh, we also uh, kind of uh, uh, compare notes about what we're hearing. Right. So, what uh, what are you hearing from your customers? What am I hearing from my network? Uh, what kinds of uh, uh, use cases are you seeing? What kinds of uh, questions are customers asking? And uh, what new tools are you following? Yeah, I think that's uh, to me that's the, the an interesting place you sit because you get to work in while it's also industry it's kind of an analyst firm right that does a lot of publications rubbing elbows with people who are in the you know the 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 product side selling products but also with customers so that's kind of want to spend some time with you is is really understand what are those you know some of those macro trends today so we We've heard uh, at a handful of conferences, people talk about the, you know, the end of Moore's law, right? CPU is no longer, you know, accelerating at the rate it was previously, but we've entered what many people are calling kind of this Moore's law era of machine learning, where like, you know, every six months, the number of papers or tools being published around machine learning is doubling. What is it in your, from your perspective that has just, just absolutely set machine learning and AI on fire in the last few years? So I think, uh, uh, I think maybe the resurgence in excitement uh, happened around 2011, 2012, right? So when, when deep learning, when people in the deep learning community started setting uh, uh, very impressive records in speech and computer vision. Um, and then obviously uh, even set aside deep learning. So, cause I think at this point, it's fair to say that many enterprises are still in the early stages of exploring uh, that uh, class of uh, approach uh, technologies and tools. Um, there was also, uh, as you as you guys know, there was also uh, the earlier wave around 
the big data technologies, you know, data management, ETL, streaming. So there were there was kind of that prior investment in the, in collecting and aggregating, normalizing and cleaning your data, and so uh, you know the early applications of that would be like uh, uh, business intelligence reports, uh, simple averages, simple counts, uh, maybe trends. But at some point, you start thinking, well, what else? Uh, now that we have this data, maybe we can use it to improve other uh, processes, maybe automate uh, some some uh, workflows or, or, or extract uh, even higher revenue or higher profits from certain uh, uh, systems and products. So I, I think that that's a, there's, there was that natural evolution. So... Um, but on the other hand, you know, uh, uh, when we did, when we did the survey recently as to what are some of, what are the bottlenecks for people who want to, uh, uh, engage or use AI and machine learning, uh, within a company. Uh, so one of the first things we did was we asked people to self-identify themselves. Are you in the early stages? Are you a beginner? Are you... Do you have some models in production or do you have a lot of models in production? So kind of like the beginner, intermediate, advanced categories. So what we found is that the, the people who are still in the evaluation stage, right? So the, the beginners, their bottlenecks tend to be around uh, just figuring out the right use cases for uh, ML and AI. Or, or perhaps also the, another bottleneck is uh, convincing uh, the rest of their company uh, that these technologies are going to be powerful and important. On the other hand, the people who self-describe themselves as having a much more mature or advanced practice, they cited things like lack of data or data quality issues or uh, uh, lack of skilled people or difficulty uh, hiring for uh, some of the things that they need to get down, so kind of the skills gap. So uh, so while there's a lot of excitement around M ML and AI, uh, I think we're still in the very early stages. So the other thing I would like to point out is that uh, um, uh, there has been so much research done, right? So I think uh, I gave a presentation where I... I estimated there's over a hundred uh, papers on archive.org in in uh, ML that's uploaded every day. So there's been so much research done. Um, so in many ways, one can one can say that uh, there's actually a lot of uh, uh, things already that uh, companies can uh, can use at this point, even even if uh, uh, God forbid. Uh, uh, people stop publishing papers, right? So there's a lot of things that uh, still need uh, to be implemented uh, within companies. So uh, yeah. I, I'm very bullish in terms of uh, just uh, uh, the opportunities for companies who are serious about uh, using AI and ML. There's, there's just a lot of things that uh, uh, they can do with it now and are available. Well, this is, I mean, it's, it's quintessential, like, um, you know, 
uh, hype cycle kind of kind of place, right? Where we're we're coming out of this place where marketing companies, you know, our marketing folks had these ideas that oh, it's AI. So AI has been in the press. It's been in every product announcement. But now it's starting to like it's you know I me I feel like you know we're starting to see some of that slow as organizations as you identified are starting to figure out. But what does it really mean? Like, how do I develop a use case? And you mentioned that you you did this survey, and I think that survey actually is kind of interesting. So you you asked a, a lot of a lot of people some some basic questions around you know where are they in their journey? You know how are they you know how are they using it today? But I'm curious when you when you look at that you know that the responses that you got from uh, I'm guessing a pretty broad uh, representation of the industry was there anything that stood out to you in that survey that like surprised you? Uh, so in many ways, so the the people in the evaluation stage, right? So the people who 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 said uh, they're having difficulty identifying use cases or or convincing the rest of the company to pursue machine learning and AI. By the way, uh, most of what we call AI is really machine learning at this point, right? Um, so, it, so in many ways, that, uh, that, that bottleneck, that particular challenge has remained uh, ever since I've basically uh, been in the field, right? So that's always been a challenge for companies, pretty much for uh, uh, many technologies. Um, so I, so in some ways it's not surprising, but in some ways it's surprising, right? Because basically, like you said, we read a lot about uh, uh, not just so. Uh, there's articles about the the really leading edge tech companies out here in Silicon Valley, but uh, now we're also beginning to read articles about regular enterprises using machine learning. So then sometimes you get uh, you get lulled into thinking that it's much more widespread, but in fact. Uh, uh, we're still in the early stages. Um, yeah. I, so, so the other thing I would say is that, uh, to me, what that kind of uh, highlights is that uh, as we enter this implementation phase for uh, machine learning and AI, um, just like, uh, do you guys remember in the big data, when big data first came, uh, there, uh, people got excited about it, but then they came to the realization, huh, this, uh, this actually requires not just teaching our technologies, this modern data infrastructure tools, but it also need, we need, also need to teach the rest of or, the organization how to think differently, right? So how to make decisions using data. So there was a certain kind of retraining that needed to happen not just in the technical teams, but also with the people who are eventually going to be uh, consuming or using data. So I think uh, something like that has to happen with uh, machine learning and AI as well, right? So, and that's what some that's something actually we try to do with in our events is that we try to make sure that we have uh, content uh, which would be two-day trainings, tutorials, sessions, and and so on. Uh, that uh, appeal to uh, all sections of an organization, right? So the non-technical decision makers, the analysts, the data scientists, the data engineers, uh, developers in the case of the AI conference, right? Because as you can imagine, uh, there's a class of developers who want to use these things but are not data experts. They're programmers, right? Um, 
So yeah. So you have to think of uh, training more holistically, I think. So that's one thing. The other thing I think that uh, people, uh, I think, underappreciated, and I think now that's uh, uh, becoming more apparent to a lot of organizations, is that, uh, you know, at the end of it, even though we're talking about AI and uh, machine learning, uh, everything begins with data, right? So, and in the case of machine learning, that usually means uh, uh, labeled data for training, right? So clean labeled data of high quality for training. So then uh, that's why I, uh, earlier this year at our Strata conferences in San Francisco and London, I gave this keynote on the importance of these foundational technologies, right? So for uh, data integration, uh, metadata, data governance, data lineage. So uh, if you want to build a sustainable machine learning and AI practice, uh, you need to have uh, data in place and uh, uh, data that can be audited, uh, data that can be uh, examined for compliance reasons and so on and so forth. Uh, but the exciting thing is that the, uh, the research community has also as much as we talk about uh, uh, research into modeling and things like that, uh, researchers are also building some of these fun, uh, are also paying attention to the need for uh, better tools for uh, some of these uh, uh, data, data technologies, right? So uh, uh, tools for uh, clean, cleaning data using machine learning, uh, Tools for, tools for programmatically generating uh, labels for data. Uh, so uh, under the under the heading of what uh, researchers call data programming. Um, yeah. So I cool. can stop here, so you can uh, <laughs> ask more questions. Oh no, that that's awesome. I want to go back to your first point around uh, educating the organizations and that some of the challenges that we're seeing in enterprises where we might have some capabilities, but the entire organization doesn't know what they don't know as it relates to what you can do with AI and machine learning or data in general. Uh, who do you see within the enterprise as being, you know, what role is, is who's carrying that, that the torch, so to speak, in creating that awareness campaign within organizations or, and what recommendations do you have to help accelerate that? So I think these days we now have uh, roles like chief data scientist, chief data officer, CIO, right? So, and CDO. So definitely uh, those role, uh, those uh, uh, stakeholders need to understand the uh, current uh, capabilities and as well as the limitations of these technologies um, but I think also I mean uh, product managers may need to know more about uh, what they can do with machine learning and uh, and how machine learning may impact uh, how they develop uh, how they develop products moving forward right so I think in our AI conference in San Francisco I'm actually super excited about this new tutorial we have aimed squarely at product managers, right? So how do you do product management in the age of machine learning? Uh, so where you now have machine learning tools to understand better 
how users are interacting with your product and things like that. Um, so let's see. So I think uh, so. So when it comes to uh, uh, automation, right? So so enterprise workflow automation or robotics pro process automation. I again, this is the kind of thing that I think that uh, would benefit if uh, your organization is more aware of. Uh, uh, what these technologies can do. So, so uh, for example, uh, RPA in particular, right? So it's not it's not the kind of thing that probably takes off if you dictate it from above. It's probably better if the people who are closer to the tasks uh, understand what the what uh, technologies are available and what their limitations are, so they can make recommendations about uh, where. Uh, uh, these technologies can inject themselves within an enterprise. Yeah, robotic process automation is an area I think is I think it's ripe. I think it goes back to though, you got to have that solid use case, and you got to get people that, that understand how to implement them. And, and so, one of the things, and, and, and then the people who are close to the uh, to the actual uh, tasks, right? So so yeah. that they, so that they can uh, work hand in hand. Make sure that uh, you're not overreaching. Yeah, for sure. You have to have that domain expertise if you're ever going to apply these unique technologies. I think that's 100%. I actually think that's one of the things that's a similarity I see in organizations that are successful is that they've figured out how to bridge that gap between the technologists that understand the technology for the sake of the technology. They, they've got good machine learning capabilities, but they've married that with you know good um communication and collaboration with those you know, those people in the lines of business that are trying to carry out that use case and use the technology. So I, I think that's a, a, an excellent kind of assessment. But I'm, I'm curious in your seat, you, you, you get to take a nice survey of a lot of the tools and technologies that are emerging. There's a lot of acquisitions and uh, closures and all kinds of things happening in the world of you know, data science tools and platforms. I, I'm curious from your perspective, are you, are you seeing any, any one particular platform or type of platform emerge as as really a leader in in these uh, uh, data science and machine learning uh, efforts within enterprises uh, I, I don't know if there's so so in in the open source world right so as far as let's say for example deep learning frameworks so it's clear that tensorflow and pytorch are are, are the top two uh, deep learning frameworks right um, and then you go into uh, data science platforms. I think that the, um, so in in the uh, in Silicon Valley, uh, uh, some of the tech companies started uh, making announcements about their internal data science platforms, right? So which broadly describes uh, a set of tools that allows a team of data scientists to work together, collaborate, uh, share pipelines, share models, share features, uh, and so on and so forth. And maybe the more advanced of these data platforms maybe even bridges the gap between the model lifecycle development towards uh, uh, deployment to production and monitoring and production. Um, so there, there's a, so there's a, the announcements of the different tech companies ranging from Uber, Netflix, Twitter, uh, describing what their internal data science platforms are. 
but there are also people who are uh, commercial vendors who are who are uh, attempting to sell these similar types of data plat data science platforms to enterprises, right? So, um, and and there's many of the those vendors. So, uh, I I mean I happen to advise one company that I think is doing well called Databricks. I don't know if you guys know Databricks, but uh, so but there are many many such uh, vendors. Cloudera, our partner, has now has a, also has a in the Strata conference, Cloudera, our partner, also has a data science platform. Uh, the cloud uh, providers, as well as the large enterprise software vendors like IBM, also have data science platforms. Yeah. Um, I see the I see the cloud being interesting in those folks that just want to consume those functions as a service. I think that's kind of interesting. But I, I, I am interested in your perspective on the me, cloud era. Me, but uh, let me tell you where I, what I'm excited about in terms of this area. So there's the class of tools which I broadly described as data science platforms, right? Which for the most part, like I said, uh, broadly described class of tools that lets data scientists work together. And then now I started, I've been writing some articles with a couple of friends of mine around uh, uh, topics pertaining to a new class of tools that are emerging, which, uh, so I would say, you know, broadly speaking, there's a class of tools for model lifecycle development which means experiment tracking and things like that. So I think there's an open source project uh, that's uh, just over a year old from Databricks called MLflow. Are you guys familiar with MLflow? Oh yeah. So MLflow has uh, uh, several components, but the most popular component, uh, uh, as far as I can tell, is the one that people use for uh, managing and tracking experiments. So there, that's the, there's a class of tools uh, like that, but then also, I think uh, there's another class of tools as you as you folks can imagine around uh, uh, deploying a model to production and monitoring those models while, when they're in production. So, uh, which includes maybe uh, uh, alerts for when you need to retrain a model, uh, or yeah, drift, feature drift, all or or, yeah. or or maybe even being able to uh, uh, deploy a model against live data without actually deploying it out to production quite yet, right? So simulating a model against live data while uh, retaining your your champion model and then your challenger is kind of being simulated against live data. Uh, but I think another class of tools that uh, I'm excited about are the uh, tools around model governance, which I think maybe uh uh the inspiration here are the companies that come from highly regulated industries like uh financial services or 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 banking right so here uh at the minimum uh these types of tools will tell you okay what models do we have and that's some metadata about the models right so what was the training data what the features were when was it last touched? When was it uh, retrained? And so on and so forth. Um, but it, there's also tools that allow... Uh, so in some of these companies, they have someone who basically acts like a model governance officer, right? So basically, uh, before a model goes live, uh, they have a strict uh, set of uh, steps that they have to go through uh, so that... Uh, 
in case they have to answer to regulators later on, uh, they can backtrack. Um, so it could mean uh, it could mean uh, uh, tools for helping. Uh, so so in, in in this world, you have a group of people who develop the models. So they could be data scientists, deep learning engineers, machine learning engineers. And then uh, typically they, they, they set it up so that there's another group of people who actually uh, in, in many ways QA and validate the model. So, so this group tends to be independent or at least uh, a, a independent group of people are, is doing the model validation and testing. Um, so yeah, so you need, you need tools to allow uh, the people who are reviewing the model uh, to interact with the people who developed the model. Uh, and actually, honestly, so I, uh, it turns out that there's actually a, a separate model review process from a separate model validation process in some of these companies. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, so it's yeah, no, you're pretty, right. I think pretty, it's... pretty detailed, but you can, you can see in a highly regulated industry why you would need some of these tools. And, yeah. and I think that... Uh, I think that we're just beginning to realize the importance of these uh, roles and these uh, these uh, requirements for such enterprises. And so, while we in the Valley are tend to be focused on, you know, kind of uh, let's develop the model, we have some validation step, and then push it out to production, right? So, uh, and uh, so, so the focus seems to be earlier on out here is uh, let's build the tools that can help people deploy their models to production. So that seems to be, there seems to be a lot of activity there, but I think but the actually, folks on the East coast have a different opinion because they're, they're yeah, but I, th I think government that, regulation. That, yeah. 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 That, that, that thing in the middle between model lifestyle, life cycle development, deployment and monitoring the model ops. So the model governance tooling, I think is a, is a, uh, is a great opportunity for uh, yeah for people. Yeah, like like you said, I think you know the fact that there's if nobody publishes another machine learning paper this year, there's still enough machine learning technology to solve a lot of really interesting challenges in our industry. But as you clearly identified, I think you know I think you're right that those tools around explainability and reproducibility for models are, are growing importance as we start to see regulation creep in. Where you know over the last five years, the regulation was really around the data. And now the regulation seems to be trending towards not just the data, but the usage of that data in the model. And so the, the regulation seems to just be catching up. So I think you're absolutely right. Those tools will be interesting. And, and, so and, I, and philosophically, too. I mean, I think actually the Andrew Burt of Immuta and some folks that he works with, uh, I think, uh, uh, with the Future of Privacy Forum have also uh, made a similar observation, which is basically... You know, you may want you may want a team of people that's uh, that was independent or not involved in the model development process to do some of this uh, uh, testing and validation, right? So, which I don't think uh, uh, is necessarily the case in 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 uh, some tech companies. Yeah. So with a with a shift as as you just outlined, like where there's this potential move from being just purely a technical conversation to being a, uh, a business and a use case conversation and a, and a people conversation. Do you see organizations moving 
away from open source technologies to more closed source, you know, closed commercial technologies where there's some culpability on the vendor to provide some of those capabilities? Or do you think it's going to persist and, and the world will just continue to evolve the way it is? I think it's a, I don't know if there's a clear answer to that, right? So let me, let me kind of, uh, 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 bob and weave on that one. But, uh, but basically I think that, uh, um, so open source obviously is powerful for, for example, right? So if just on the, just on the deep learning and machine learning side, uh, a lot of the research papers these days may be accompanied with sample code, which is uh, written in an open source framework. So, so it's powerful that way because you, uh, a lot of the innovation in the space has happened in the open, both in publishing and in code sharing. But uh, on the other hand, I think, uh, as you guys know, it's quite challenging for entrepreneurs to build <laughs> companies around open source right so and i think uh, i think also some of for example some of the things that i described that are more enterprisey in nature and features um i think that those tend to be picked up by uh by companies who are uh uh end up uh developing proprietary software um and so i think that uh um, the rise of software as a service and and being able to use uh, managed services in the cloud has probably uh, kind of lessened uh, uh, the sense of urgency around open source. But with that said, people also want don't want lock-in, even with cloud providers. So that's why a lot of these cloud providers have managed services, but their managed services that are based on the open source projects, right? So manage Spark or, uh, or running TensorFlow or running PyTorch and so on and so forth. Um, but on the other hand, as I pointed out though, as much as we talk about models and things like that, uh, I think as you guys will probably uh, agree, I mean, a lot of this comes down to data, right? So if I have a better model than you, but your data is better than mine, uh, you will crush me. So, so I think that uh, a lot of people may uh, may end up realizing that you know a lot of our a lot of our, a lot of our uh, competitive advantage uh, uh, will boil down to what data we have. Yeah, to a degree. So when we think about competitive advantage, that's actually where one thing I wanted to kind of to get your perspective on is. You know, there's a lot of tech being developed, um, both at every layer of the stack in this sort of trend towards AI from, uh, model tools to productionization tools to monitor and manage those and make them reproducible, explainable to platforms that abstract, you know, kind of how we deploy the software, uh, in the cloud and in the data center. And then there's, you know, there's, there's interesting things happening in the hardware world around, you know, acceleration technologies that are, going to make, you know, model training happen faster and then, you know, more power efficient and time efficient and space efficient. If you had to kind of look across this, this kind of broad industry that we get to play in, is there any particular areas that you think are kind of most interesting to watch or that you're most excited about to look at in the next, uh, call it two to three years that you think are going to have big impacts on our industry? 
I think the specialized hardware that you pointed out, because uh, basically uh, I think that uh, mo training times are, are uh, long and expensive. And so uh, uh, there's been a lot of investment for hardware startups on for both training and inference, uh, both at the data center and, and uh, the edge. So I think that we will start seeing some... Uh, Interesting announcement in the maybe Q3, Q4 uh, period uh, of this year around the hardware, uh, specialized hardware for accelerating, for example, training deep learning. Um, as I said earlier, I think there's uh, more people who are researchers who are beginning to focus on data itself. So... I, I described uh, a class of tools around uh, open source tools around uh, data cleaning and data repair. So one of the good tools there is a tool out of Stanford and, and uh, uh, University of Waterloo and University of Wisconsin called Holoclean. And then uh, there's also another class of tools that will allow people to uh, uh, programmatically uh, uh, label lots and lots of data. Uh, so there's a, a new open source project out of Stanford called Snorkel, uh, which actually is not new, a few years old, but uh, they have a new release coming out in a few weeks, uh, which uh, will probably uh, make it easier for more folks to, to use that product. Uh, I don't know if you guys are following uh, reinforcement learning, but uh, there's also a lot of... Uh, uh, interesting uh, new tools coming out of there. The one that I'm most interested in is a, a project from UC, Rice, UC Berkeley Rice Lab called Ray. Uh, and, and, and Ray is really kind of like a distributed computation platform uh, which uh, from which you can uh, so it's written in C++, so it's super low latency, so it's perfect for these AI kind of use cases. But uh, it's also a, a, a distributed computed computation platform that uh, sits somewhere in between, you know, how you can have the ultimate flexibility and run uh, Kubernetes or Mesos and, and virtualization on one end, or on the other end, you can use some specialized or targeted uh, uh, frameworks like Kafka or Spark or, and, and things like that. And, and then in the middle of those two, maybe you have uh, things like serverless, you know, uh, uh, function, function as a service, service yeah. kind of thing. So Ray kind of sits somewhere in that middle. Uh, so what makes it interesting is that people are now starting to write libraries on top of Ray. So the most popular library is called uh, RLlib, which is uh, for reinforcement learning. And so it's now being used by both users of reinforcement learning, so developers, but also by researchers who want to uh, uh, develop new RL algorithms. But on the other hand, there's also other libraries on top of Ray, including... Uh, a streaming library uh, developed by uh, Alibaba, which I believe they will open source. Um, there's also uh, uh, a library on top of Ray called Modin. And so uh, 
Modin basically, if you think of pandas, right? So pandas uh, for Python programmers, which is their favorite uh, uh, way for uh, uh, encoding data structures and manipulating and data data wrangling data. Uh, so pandas has a huge API. So I think Modin covers about 80% of pandas API. So you add one line of code and then the rest of your pandas code will run faster on a lap laptop, but also automatically scales out to a cluster because of Ray, right? So, hmm. uh, yeah, I saw, saw similar announcements from uh, your friends at Databricks on Panda support. Yeah, so this is uh, this is built on top of Ray, so it's uh, Modin. Uh, and then the uh, the other thing that the the Rice Lab people have have been pursuing re recently is. Uh, using uh, uh, Ray and the tools they have uh, for automating programming itself using program synthesis, right? So, so program synthesis is this old uh, field in computer science, which basically, uh, basically you automatically try to find a program in, uh, in a language that satisfies what, what the programmer wants to do. So the first manifestation for them is uh, is a tool called AutoPandas. So with AutoPandas, you basically specify here's my input data set, and here's what I this here's my output data set, right? So after data wrangling or doing something, this is what my output data set will look like. Uh, so it will automatically spit out the the pandas code you need to do that. So uh, Pandas is one specific API that they've uh, applied these technologies, which also uses uh, uh, neural networks, by the way. Uh, uh, so they take they take the uh, Pandas API and they use program synthesis to do uh, automation, and they have something called Auto Pandas. But the intention here is to do this for a variety of APIs. Uh, uh, I, uh, I think they're talking about uh, uh, NumPy and TensorFlow. And things like that. So, I think as one of the things, as as you folks probably know, of talking to data scientists, data engineers, machine learning engineers, and developers, is that uh, there's an explosion of things you need to know, right? So, uh, yeah, you, for they, example, as a data scientist, you, you might need to know Pandas or Scikit-Learn or uh, Python and TensorFlow or, or Spark, and you know. So there's uh, there's a lot of things that you need to know. So, so maybe using this a set of tools that come out of Rice Lab around program synthesis, you'll start. They'll start developing a bunch of these automation tools, where uh, you can basically you may not need to master too much of the details of uh, of particular thing, particular uh, APIs you need to use, right? So, and you can you can more you can kind of more. Think of yourself more like as an architect of what you want your program to do, and then uh, uh, this will uh, reduce the need to to know so many APIs, right? Yeah. Well, and the the job of the the data scientist is uh, continuously challenging, and there's new uh, roles, as you mentioned, things like machine learning engineers rolling out. But I always argue that some of the best ways to learn and to keep up with technologies and to pick up on trends and interact with, you know, smart people who may have already solved problems that are you're facing are oftentimes conferences, and and you have a chance to to chair 
uh, a couple of these conferences, and I just want to mention these again. So, so tell us a little bit about the conferences that are coming up that you're part of, so, and uh, what you're excited about. Right, right. So, uh, so there's uh, so the first uh, conference that's coming up is the Artificial Intelligence Conference in San Jose, uh, which would be uh, second week of September. Uh, and then we also have an artificial intelligence conference in London, uh, which will happen in the uh, middle of October. And then uh, I also am chairing uh, the Strata Data Conference in New York City, which will be in the third week, uh, maybe third or fourth week of September in uh, New York C City in the Javits Center. And then at the very end of October, we have uh, uh, the first ever TensorFlow World, which we are uh, uh, co-presenting with Google, so I'm also co-chair of that. Um, yeah, so a lot of interesting things, a lot of uh, interesting conferences happening, and I guess uh, I would say that, uh, uh, you know, as, as the chair of all these three conferences, I think they're all great. <laughs> but, uh, it's like picking your favorite kid, right? <laughs> but uh, I, I would say that... Uh, uh, in particular, the AI conference and Strata, uh, we have basically, uh, I don't know if people know, but uh, obviously uh, we have a lot of rich technical content in these conferences. But inside these conferences, we ha also have a business summit aimed at decision makers and uh, uh, non-technical uh, non people. Uh, and this goes back to uh, what we were discussing earlier about the need to uh, make sure that the uh, uh, the entire organization is trained for the coming wave of AI and machine learning technologies. That's awesome. Well, Ben, we appreciate you being on to talk with us about, you know, your unique view of the world of uh, AI and big data, how it's evolved over the years, clearly an, an early adopter and, and somebody that's been part of it. So thanks for your perspective and the guidance on what we need to be thinking about next. And I want to shift gears. So I want to have a little fun. We have a section that we like to call rapid fire. We've learned a lot from our guests about big data, but now it's time to get a bit personal. In a segment we like to call Rapid Fire. Pew, pew. What is the latest book you have read that you would recommend to our listeners? So I read a lot of books. So this uh, Already, this is a hard question. But I think uh, for this audience in particular... Uh, one, a couple of underappreciated books. So I'm already uh, uh, violating your rules, right? So the first one is The Great Firewall of China, because um, I think a lot of people here are listening to the show might be interested in in uh, security and privacy. So that that's a great book. But uh, also there's uh, there's a book by uh, Ken Oleta, which is already a couple of years old, called Frenemies, which uh, talks about the, basically the ad tech and advertising industry because I think uh, one of the things that uh, is interesting to me is a lot of uh, uh, the research in AI machine learning comes out of companies that are basically being uh, their business models advertising right so Google Facebook uh, in, in specifically but we ourselves as technologists don't know that much about this uh, uh, sector so I think Ken Oleta's book is a is a great read for anyone who wants to learn more about the ad tech sector. Cool. I'll have to check those out. So when you speak at conferences and you walk on stage, uh, if you had to pick a song to play as you walk on the stage, what would that song be? You know, I 
I I guess I don't necessarily know. I uh, yeah, this is a hard one. Yeah, we, we a lot of people go ACDC, seventies, nineties uh, rock in that area. But okay, yeah, no, no I would, it would have to be some kind of hip hop song. But I would have to okay. think about uh, which one. So West Coast rap, early nineties, West no, Coast rap, no, something no, like no. that. Uh, safe for work. <laughs> it would be safe, uh, for, safe work. for work. Okay. <laughs> So, what piece of technology is currently making your life worse? What piece of technology is making my life worse? Um, I don't. I think basically, I think, uh, I think uh, social media, maybe to some extent, because uh, that's the only correct answer. The the disinformation. Actually, we should have talked about disinformation. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. Social media rarely makes your life better. Let's just say that. All right. Next question. What is your biggest money pit right now? Uh, I would say at this point, uh, car sharing services. Because okay. I, I stopped driving. Oh, so just Ubering all the time? Yes, but uh, I kind of have all these deals that I've learned how to work with. <laughs> there you go. Work the system. Uh, are there any shows that you're binging on right now? Uh, I just finished a good show on Netflix called, I, I'm not sure if this is the right title, The the Most Beautiful Hands in Delhi. But don't I like, I like, I, I also, I guess we also just finished Big Little Lies. I don't know if that's the right title. Season two. I, I think okay. the reviews were, I, I, the, I, the reviews I don't think uh, were accurate. I think it was a great season as well. Okay, I haven't seen that one either. I'll have to check it out. And then lastly, what's the next interesting place that you're going to be traveling to? Uh, so I go to China, Europe, and Israel every year. So I've already done China. I've been to Europe going back, but uh, Israel in November. And then oh, hopefully cool. for vacation in uh, December, uh, somewhere in Asia again. Yeah. Oh, nice, nice. Well, Ben, thank you so much for your time. You know, the Big Data Beer team is obviously a huge fan of all the work that O'Reilly does and uh, the conferences, Strata Data and the AI conferences. We look forward to seeing you at uh, the upcoming ones, and uh, we recommend to all of our listeners to uh, highly check out those conferences and uh, try to attend if they're in your areas. But, Ben, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Big Data Beard Podcast. The music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. Check him out on iTunes or Spotify.